Yes, indeedy. Welcome to the Up Full Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz, and this is the very first episode. I'm going to be figuring this thing out as I go. I mean, let's be real. I've never had a podcast before, nor have I hosted a show. So I'm going to figure it out as I go. But I am super stoked on this endeavor. It's something I've been working towards for some time. And I'm super blessed and privileged to have a bunch of really awesome, strong, long-standing relationships in the music world and the cultures that surround. And I'm looking to explore those in uh, exponential ways and directions. You know, we'll see what happens and how long this thing uh, goes on for. But in the beginning, I have an ambitious and hopeful, colorful vision for this show. The first episode, I'm lucky to have the drummer of Turquoise, Michelangelo Caruba. Now, Mikey gave me this interview at High Sierra Festival, which was in July. Uh, it took me a little while here to get my ducks in a row. Debatable whether, indeed, they even are. But nonetheless, I wanted to put the pot out. Um, they, Turquoise actually has uh, a new album coming out called Life in the City at the end of September on the 28th. But they had released a live album uh, earlier in the summer, just a few days before High Sierra. And we explored that a little bit in the context of our conversation. The album's called 040717, representing the date of the gig of the live record, obviously. Now, Mikey, obviously, is a very deep cat, a proud proud man, stoic and protector type, as we talk about. So after the music stuff and some of the peripherals and some really great, great nuggets from Mikey on the music side of things, the conversation takes a turn for the more serious, uh, focused, I'd say emotional, hopeful again, inspirational. And that's when he talks a bit about uh, his sobriety and how he got there. And then also a beautiful, blossoming new relationship that he's in. Again, the interview is about two-ish months old, ten weeks or so. But I felt like it really uh, stands the test of time and uh, is still relevant and hopefully will be for a long time so without any further ado this is the upful life podcast with b gets and the interview will be with michelangelo caruba drummer of turquoise
right. And we're here at High Sierra Music Festival. This is the Pow Wow, new podcast with B. Getz from Up for Life. You may know me a little bit from Live for Live Music. This is a new endeavor that uh, we're rolling out, and I'm really lucky to have great friends in the music business and uh, in the community help me get this thing off the ground. And uh, one of the first of which is sitting right next to me. Uh, we got Michelangelo Caruba from Turquoise, among a myriad of other projects. So uh, let me welcome you to the show, to the powwow. Thanks, bud. Thanks for having me here. We appreciate you uh, making the time. Now, it's a new thing. So as I mentioned, it's a conversation where we start with music and what brings us together, but really let it go exponentially in whatever direction. Yeah. Um, ex- really... No expectations, but uh, I obviously asked you uh, for a variety of reasons, but the first of which is that you were coming here to High Sierra, and this is where I personally fell in love with Turquoise two years ago. Oh, that's right, dude. This is, I forgot that yeah, this is so where... this is sort of like a rage anniversary, if you will. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that's great. Had you I played here before that? Yeah, this is our fourth High Sierra. Uh, we didn't do it last year. We did it the three years in a row prior to that. And uh, it's like the best festival in the West. I would agree. It really is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, you're here with Turquoise. You just released a live album. We did. Yeah, on the Tuesday, like albums supposed to be released. That's right. Yeah, because we follow the rules sometimes. Sometimes. You're traditionalist. We are. I mean, in a lot of different senses too. You know, we have. I mean, you know, our our management, red light management, they keep a careful eye on um, our how we release our content when we release our content you know they've just been doing they're professionals they're really really good at what they do and I listen yeah. <laughs> we, we listen to them you know? they have their track record is, is pretty, it's pretty strong, strong so that's dude. amazing you're <laughs> yeah. with Red Light now. how yeah. long have you been with them we've been with Red Light for three and a half years I think wow uh, Jason Gibbs is our manager okay um who is directly under Brad Sands, who's, you know, sort of chief over there. Yeah. And um, so we're in very, very capable, very good hands. Indeed, yeah. And it's felt like that for the last three years. You know, three years have been... You see the difference. Yeah, you know, just the way... You know, a lot of how we're perceived is obviously how we play on stage, because that's how a majority of people consume us. You know, but at least for me, I didn't really have that good of a grasp on how how you're perceived and consumed otherwise offstage and they know that shit really really well and you know our marketing and our aesthetic and and how we present ourselves and the, you know they keep a careful eye like I said on content and, and when it comes out and how it comes out and just you know if you take a look at hard ticket sales from three years ago till now it's, it's really constant really steady healthy growth a lot of that I give up to them a lot of it I give up to my band too because they're badass you know it's yeah so we were saying about the new album and working with Red Light and uh, you know you mentioned that you guys are really at your best in the live element and that's where people uh, receive you and uh, I feel like it was a you know right on time with the live record so people could kind of uh, you know, have a take-home version yeah. of the show because you guys are such a show. Yeah, it is. And do you feel like the the record really uh, encapsulates yes. the Turquoise experience? Are you pleased this, with it? This I'm. This is the the 
release I've actually most pleased with. Partially because I enjoy the live experience so much. Not that I don't enjoy like this making a record in the studio. I love that. But I really thrive. I'm most excited when I'm on stage. And the fact that we captured all the things that we did on this live album, I'm like, you can never be 100% happy with anything, you know, but like, this is like 98% for me. That's like the closest I've come to being like, just a total fuck yeah moment, you know. And yeah. I, for me, I think we hit it. Yeah, we played it a few times through since it came out. Yeah. And I would agree. I mean, dynamics and sonically, it's really, really expansive. We put it yes. on the headphones and you can really you know, kind of make out the nuances and stuff. So that's why I was curious if we felt like it really nailed, because you guys are this huge band and everyone finds their space. Yes. Nobody overplays. It's a real ensemble. Yes. And that's hard to kind of capture and then repurpose as a record. Exactly. And that's part of probably one of the reasons I'm just, I'm more excited about the, the live record is because in the studio, you are trying to recreate what you sound like you're trying to you know you're trying to like put it on a record and when you're in a studio for me just it, it's not it isn't live there's not and I can't really fake that excitement you know when I go in the studio I do a job as a drummer as to play this tune the best I can now that's not that different from being a live drummer but like it's just easier when there's a thousand people in front of you you know there's an energy transference there's an energy presence that's that's not there in the studio, and and yeah, I think that on this live record, it's the fucking real deal, man. That's like that's when I hear it, I'm like, that's us. Yeah, that's well, us. Right on, man. That's, yeah, I'm stoked to hear that, <laughs> that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm you know? I'm really really because you know a lot of musicians that I talk to are just you even read in interviews where they'll reflect on a record and instead of singing its praises, they'll remember the one or two things Shitty that moments coulda, or, shoulda, whatever, yeah. I wish I and yeah. you know, I'm stoked to see someone that looks back on any kind of release, but a live release particularly because yeah, because it's, it's you, yeah, exactly. You yeah. don't know what's gonna happen. Exactly. But that one was that was it, man. Now one thing I notice is it, it's the performance is fifteen months old. Yes. So, have you feel like uh, you've grown? I would say, as a fan, I see the growth, even from the record to now. To now. Um, what do you feel like has transpired, maybe from April of 2017 to now, that that isn't yet? You know, um, we did that um, Wings Jazz Fest. Yeah, Jazz Fest, and we did it at Brooklyn Bowl too. And like every year or or so, maybe two years, we do a set of someone else's music. We've done Sly, Talking Heads, Joe Cocker, Mad Dogs and Englishmen, and then this Wings thing. And I think for me, digging into that material, uh, I learned a lot about songwriting and about composition and about framing an idea in a way that's like really really effective and also really simple and I think we all learned a lot from that and I know when I'm on stage now there are moments where I'm consciously thinking about like is this serving the tune in a way that I hadn't been before and I think that everyone's thinking like that and I think um, you know we're we're gonna be releasing a studio album in the fall and uh I think uh, 
it's more reflected in, in this next album is, is how we think about ourselves as songwriters and how how to perform a song live, still make it live, but not let it either go off the rails or, or forget what your source material is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. the tune is like what you're supposed to be playing. You're serving the song, as you said. Right? Yeah, exactly. Is what and I'm. You get doing. away from that. Yeah, it's, you know, you get excited, and, and or someone plays something, and you, all of a sudden you got that new idea, and you want to go after it, and that's cool. But sometimes, you know, I'll, I've listened back to my own recordings and been like, "Man, we were on that tune for a while, and then that thing happened, and it's not really like the tune anymore." You know. What up, Nate Dog? You're the man, baby. I love yeah, you. Yeah, but <laughs> for those listening at home, Nate Edgar, bass player of Nth Power, just rolled by. Just rolled by in a sick SUV. Yeah. Peeping. So I got to ask, because, uh, you know, Jazz Fest is tough, and I didn't make it to tips for the Denny. Yeah. Uh, the Wings. Denny Lane. It Denny is, right? Lane, yeah. Denny so Lane. what's it like to have such an esteemed guy, and your your, your band yes. is playing their songs, but it's he's on stage with you with guys you, with performing us. it. You know, what what's... What's that like emotionally? What's that like? Are you scared? Are you are you want defiant, proud? What, take you know, that. that's that's actually interesting that you say defiant. I mean, um, you know, Denny Lane is rightfully so like a rock and roll Hall of Fame dude. Like Moody Blues, Wings wrote a ton of tunes. You know, like was Paul's like homeboy. That's really heavy company. And so I think I was definitely. I think all of us were a little scared because like that's a heavy dude and uh, but when you, you mentioned the word defiant there's also that moment when like well when he comes here and we rehearse let's fucking show him what's up dude like we've learned this stuff to the to the T like we couldn't have learned it any better with the time that we had and we we, we crushed it and we finished the rehearsal and he kind of turned around and looked at us and was like alright you know mm. like with that approving look like a proud dad or something you know what I mean and it really we felt it man it was cool and that that put us on this this equal feeling that like I didn't I wasn't anticipating I thought that whole time I was going to be like this is fucking Denny Lane this guy's heavy and I'm just gonna sit here and play as soon as best I can. But like, after that, and then we got to the to the time on stage and turning around and laughing and like you know the kind of shit that you see him do with Wings on the Wings Over America tour, like you know like friends and homies like playing music together. It felt like that on stage, and that was like that was really amazing because you know they, 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 people talk about like you know sometimes you don't want to meet your heroes because. Be disappointed. You'd be disappointed, man. It was that was like completely the opposite. We were great friends with him now, and it's That's really awesome. really cool. I didn't right. see that coming. Yeah, how could you? You, you can't, know? you know. And I didn't want to have any sort of preconceived notion, but it was just hard not to. Someone with someone like that, you know. But, you welcomed me right into something that I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Which is that you talked about when you were a kid, you had the good fortune of meeting another one of your heroes, Garibaldi. Yes. And he said some turn of phrase to you um, that I'm sure you tell me in a minute. That then, when you recently re- linked up with him, uh, what 20 plus years later, yeah. or close to it, yeah. he said the exact same thing said to the you. Exact same what thing. was that? He was like, "Keep it up, man." He's like, "Kellen, keep it up." Yeah. Got it. Keep it up. That had to be awesome, just like bookends like that to meet him at such a fertile <laughs> age, and you're just figuring it out. Yeah. And now you know you're doing the damn thing. Doing the damn thing. And uh, and he saw it. 
I mean, that's and talk about said, what that felt like, just as a drummer. And well, and it was so like, cool because my father was there oh, at, uh, at at that festival that we played in. Uh, it played Funk Funk Fest in Punta Gorda, Florida, and that's where we played with them. And uh, my dad has a spot in, right near there, and they happened to be there. And so, and it was my dad that had taken me twenty years ago to see Tower of Power. Um, Is your dad a music guy? Uh, he loves music, but he's not a music guy. Okay. I think that's a fair way to put it. He didn't. He didn't put an instrument in my hands, or I mean, he paid for it. <laughs> you know, supported. It. He supported it absolutely. Encouraged. Yeah, him and my mother both like supported me without fail. They have my entire life. But uh, it was really cool because, you know, he was he was standing backstage after we finished my father that is and we played a really really great set and everyone was excited and you know hugging and high-fiving and and when that kind of subsided I was just kind of standing with my father and talking to him and that's when one of the crew guys from Tower Power came up and said uh, Mr. Garibaldi, Mr. Garibaldi would like you to come to the tour bus he wants to talk to you he saw your set and he loved it and I remember being able to look just right at my dad and like my dad being like, "All right, go, man, go." I was like, "Dad, you gotta come with me. You can like, we gotta go do this, man." And uh, and meeting him was, it was just so strange because it was the same moment outside of his tour bus after a show. It was like it was real deja vu, you know. Except this time, I did what he told me to do. And there was that kind of weird validation where it was like, you know, I'm, he didn't, I know that he didn't remember from 20 years ago, but just the fact that he was steadfast in the way that he, his sort of mentorship was the same thing. And, and that gave me a lot of comfort. And I just felt like a million bucks because Dave Garibaldi is one of my biggest influences. Yeah, and for I can him hear to be like, man, you're killing, like, keep it up. I was like, holy shit. And it's like, yeah. That was really cool. It's like Jordan tells you you got a nice jumper. Yeah, like, dude, sick. <laughs> you know? You know, for funk drumming, like, you know. Sure. That is my, that's that's one of my schools as a as a young kid, you know, was was linear syncopated drumming by fucking Dave Garibaldi. And for him to do that was just, it was really, really cool. I'll always remember that. I mean, the, the post that made me bring it up, it really stuck with me. Yeah. Just the way you conveyed that, what you just told us. Yeah. Um, along with the photograph and just you know, it was really special. It showed. It was really it was, it was real. It transmitted. And to I don't the fans. I don't like to do like do a lot of that on Facebook or on social media. I try to. I just if if that moment happens, it happens, and I'll talk about it. But like you know, I try not to make arbitrary posts seem as right. grandiose or as make special. Them count. Yeah. Like, if that shit happened, all right, yeah. cool, we're fucking talking about that, because yeah. that was dope. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not going to, like, buy a cheeseburger and make a fake post, a Facebook post about it, you know what I mean? It's got to sure. be real, and that was that was a very real moment. That's, that was, it, it shows. goes in the book. And uh, <laughs> I feel like when people are looking um, for something deeper than the music, than just the good time, and, like, 
shaking their ass yeah. per se when they're just wondering who again why I'm sitting talking who to you, you are, yeah. who you are what are you about and then you see some sort of like post of that nature with your own father yeah. and an influence and the reverence and the sort of respect, respect yeah. that, that you're showing and just how a simple attaboy yeah. can literally <laughs> feel like like you said a million bucks a million and bucks, yeah. you were saying a minute ago you've been serving them up for me so easy uh, you're making this easy on me so <laughs> thank you but uh, about you know important posts and uh, you know not getting bogged down with the sort of drivel and a minutia yeah, and the yeah, bullshit yeah, the on social media yes. and if you're going to make a post you know you're going to say something and make it count and have it be worthwhile yeah and you, you've done a couple of those lately yeah and uh, one that resonated with me as somebody who has you know struggled with my own versions of addictions through the years yeah um, is that you announced that you had just achieved a, I believe at the time it was a hundred days, days sober yeah. um, and uh, obviously the community really rallied around that news and uh it was out of nowhere because, you know, I'd been hanging with you here, there, and everywhere. And, you know, I'd seen you at New Orleans hours in New Orleans or whatever. And, you know, it was Mikey hanging. Yeah. I mean, so it wasn't like, oh, you know, he's standing up straighter. He's got his V8 today. Yeah. So it was kind of out of left field, and I'm a big fan. Yeah. And like I said, I've, I've lived through some shit, which is why I'm having this podcast. Yeah. And when I see someone else putting themselves out there, yeah. um, not just as a role model, but as a human, yeah. like... You know, like, uh, I am flawed and I am working towards a greater me yes. and I am unashamed uh, to say that this is my process yes. and I want to be held accountable. Because when you put something on Facebook, you're saying I'm asking for accountability. Yeah. Um, so I, I, want, I wanted to hear more about whatever you want to share from that journey, whether it's you want to look in the rearview mirror and say why or if you want to look in the now view mirror and talk about how you're living or both. Just, just open I mean, up the book a little. It sort of makes sense to talk about both because that's really why you're doing it. It's because you want to have a, you want to be able to look out the windshield of life and see what's coming too, you know? Yeah. The, I mean, part of the reason why I did it was because, well, part of the reason I got sober or clean and sober um, was because I was fucking slipping, man. I was, I was drinking a lot of whiskey and doing a lot of cocaine, a lot. <laughs> and for a while, for for a, for a long time, I was handling it, and I was playing well, and I was staying up and feeling okay the next day, you know. And so I was, I thought I was invincible. My slip started showing, man, and and I was, I just was fucking up. I was fucking up all kinds of things, relationships. Songs on stage, vibes in rooms, appointments, and that was like. Here's the thing that really was the was one of the kickers for me. Shira, my bandmate, there was a, there was a period where, like, she was telling me what I had done the night before, and it started to be like four nights a week, five nights a week. She was having to fill me in on my own life because I was missing it because I was fucking blackout. And like that really started to piss me off about myself because it was like, man, I'm not living my life. You know, and there's a lot of factors as to why I was doing what I was doing, why I was drinking, why I was cooking. There's a lot that is a little very similar to other people's lives. It just had, I had a bunch of shitty stuff go on and I didn't want to deal with the pain. Um, but 
that really kind of was getting to me was was her telling me you did this you acted like this you said this I was I would I would cringe and I would tense up when she'd be like you know what happened last night and I'd be like fuck no I don't what I didn't want to hear it but I had to hear it you're a prideful guy you know I I mean you're you're not somebody that um, gives no fucks yeah I I care about Um, and you carry yourself with an level of dignity yeah and to be told how you behave oh you know for a guy like you that's just gotta be it was the worst man yeah um, you know and I I couldn't I couldn't oh yeah hey guys I couldn't breathe through my nose in the morning when I would wake up on the bus and I would be oh, everything was clogged I couldn't breathe and every morning was a hangover you know just I couldn't I couldn't do it man. and all the parties all the parties ended up becoming the same you know it was it was like a lot of people that I knew very well that were around each other all the time all of a sudden they'd only be telling each other how much they loved each other when they were fucking yacked out of their head at five in the morning it didn't make any sense to me it didn't it, you know what I mean and and it just it no good was coming of it yeah I mean I understand it it's a story <laughs> that you know frankly has been told over it's, and over yeah. again in the music business and in just entertainment and, and yeah. in life in life know? in life I mean that same stuff is happening off the stage all over the place too yeah but not everybody you know has the platform that you do or the listeners or the and you know you're you're a very beloved member of the community in terms of you know you're where you're hard on your sleeve yeah. and you're very protector yes. and, and you're a strong sort of almost like paternal figure yeah, if you yeah, will yeah. and so that's what I really saw and admired about it you're stepping up and, and putting this out there as you were like you know what uh, I'm not fronting anymore I'm not going to pretend you know, I struggle with that too you know and but it takes balls I mean I, I was totally thrown off by it you know another thing is like when you used to look up and you're not seeing somebody, whether it's track marks on their arm or they're not missing gigs, I yeah. mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not listening, and I listen, but I'm not listening for necessarily every last little hit you Nuance, miss or coming. Yeah. Exactly. So um, I was really, really taken aback, and then that was sort of replaced by, a, like I said, a measure of admiration for you, and uh, I feel like. If anybody actually starts to listen to yeah. the podcast and stuff, is that uh, you could reach people who, you know, in recovery and stuff, it's like there's a tipping point. Sometimes there's multiple tipping points yes. where there's rock bottoms, rock bottom one, rock, rock bottom, bottom two, two yeah. so forth. And, um, you know, for me, it was pharmaceutical pills, yeah. like uh, Oxycontin, yes. ruined my life Fuck for a long time. And a lot of people knew me in that time, it was before yeah. I knew you, but... And when they see me now, they're kind of just like, holy shit. Holy shit I man. haven't really stepped out, and people are going to hear this, but it's no secret. Um, I want to walk in your footsteps. Like me, you know, I still enjoy cannabis. I yeah. take a drink and stuff. Um, but, you I know, still I'm smoke proud. Weed. Hey, you know, me too. Like, that was what the line in the sand I drew when I was like, hey, you know, I'm yeah. not going to use those things anymore. Yeah. And for me, it was... Stumble fall, stumble fall. I had to go to prison for a year, lose my dad. Like, lots of awful shit happened to me for me to really be like, no, never again. And now I've got a good woman in my life. She holds me accountable. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, we can continue to talk about sobriety, but I think that it's no coincidence that you are also now loving and having a partner. Yeah. And that's a 
a big part of accountability. Yes. And it's a big part of being like this new me, same old me, but yes. new me. I'm stepping into the light. Yes. And I'm not afraid to open myself, warts and all. Yeah. To and it, to be received by someone and reciprocated like that is is better than any drug, right? It is better than any drug, so, and and I think you know, I I struggled with the decision to make a public thing about it. I didn't know if it was something that I should be private about or or something I needed to handle for a longer period of time before I came public. But I talked to some people about it, and I just knew that I could. I knew it was better if I said something than if I didn't. And when I did, I mean, man, people people have kind of come out of, like, the woodwork privately to just talk to me. That's going to happen. It's been and happening. even more. It ha- you know, it's been happening the more, more you and talk more. About. And, and That's gotta feel I'm really good. happy about it. Right, because we were talking about you being a protector and a proud guy and, and coming to you and seeing you as a sort of rock. Yeah. Like, man, I could talk to Mikey about this. And I'm, and I'm you know, I'm, it's, I'm, it's, it's an incredible feeling because it, that is the kind of person that I want to be, you know? I mean, it's a shame I had to do what I did and fuck up as much as I did to, I don't guess, have the right to do that, you know, but... But like I I, I, I like it because I love people and I love talking to people and if and if it's helping someone through something serious, that means even more to me than anything. Yeah. Say say no. Um, we posted about it a couple like a month and a half ago. So how long have you it's Haley been, Jane? Yeah, right? Haley Jane, yeah, Haley Jane. Um, a singer, songwriter from songwriter Northeast. From, yeah, she lives in uh, Burlington, Vermont. She's from California oh, wow. originally. She's from Atascadero. I lived in Burlington for five years. Went yeah. to college there. Did you go to UVM? I went to Champlain right there did in you really? Burlington. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, it was uh, probably before your time. I love Burlington. Yeah, me too. You know, I'm sure Bur- Burlington li- loves turquoise. They do. Yeah, it's I can only city. imagine. That's a really good city. So she's from here in California, but she lives in Burlington. She lives in Burlington, just outside of Burlington, and... Um, she was someone that I uh, I have always really been close friends with, and when I actually made that post about sobriety, she talked to me about it, and it's one of the ways that we actually became closer and got us. It's because because she's sober too. Okay. And uh, you know that was just something that we connected on on a very special level, and it's something that we talk to each other about every day it's awesome it's almost like a it's a relationship and a sponsor and a confidant like kind of all yeah, wrapped up in one it's it's you know when you really really care about someone sure when you love someone it's like you want to do even if they didn't have a problem you want to be everything for someone sure you know relationships aren't 50-50 relationships are 100-100 Agreed. And that's know. a really well well stated. And you know, you want, I want to be all those things, and she does too. And that's why. Well, that's one of the reasons why we why we love each other. You know, and you're both performing musicians, artists. Yeah. And, and so there's a level of understanding, not so much about 
stupid shit like that what goes on the road but just understanding the life of an artist yeah and the sort of give and take and it sounds a cliche but you know it's binge and purge just like <laughs> lots of gigs lots of yeah. stuff lots of energy and then downtime and then yeah um, and, and then that may not always coincide with her schedule yeah so that's going to be a as time goes on I imagine a, an interesting balancing act to find the time yeah you know we to really make it make it count like you said yeah you gotta make it count we've talked you know because we've felt very strongly about each other and it was like going into it we were like you know we're both touring musicians like are we just walking into a fucking log cutter right now like is this crazy but you know um, I know I have a friend that's uh, a touring musician and he had just this really cool thing where his his wife and him made a conscious decision that no matter what it would never go longer than three weeks or a month without seeing each other. Didn't matter if she just flew in on, and met him on a tour date somewhere. Just make it happen. If you if you believe in the thing, you do what you have to do to make it happen. Yeah, make it a priority. Make it a priority. That's exactly right. Yeah. But the thing is, when it's on, you don't have to tell yourself that. You just... It, it is the priority, it's the priority. You know, and I'm living proof of that. Exactly. I would, you could have told me a few years ago that I would be a, in this kind of partnership, yeah. um, and I would wouldn't have believed you. Yeah, uh, but here I am, and it's pretty amazing, I, right? yeah, it's the best shit it's ever. The best shit ever, you know. So <laughs> I know the feeling, and I'm I'm blessed, and and yeah, you, so are so you. Right. And yeah, again, hopefully, this could be inspiration for folks out there, whether they're struggling in the event of the drinking or drugs or yeah. any kind of um, addiction issues yeah. or feeling like it's never going to happen for them hopelessness or, yeah, yeah just just with love and and life yeah. it's just like you never know what's around the corner who's around the corner um and in terms of you know for me it's crazy it was, just, it was a friend of mine for 10 years yeah, likewise yeah <laughs> really it was, yeah we knew each other for a decade we met at bear creek 2011 you know <laughs> and she was in a long-term relationship between then and now yeah um, who's a good friend of mine who's here you know that's a conversation not for the podcast but uh, <laughs> no secrets and i love him uh, brian how you doing Hi, love buddy. your brother um <laughs> But nonetheless, uh, I will say this, like, and her and I talk about it a lot, and I think it's amazing when it is your friend, Yes. because the transparency. You're not, like, putting on a, a mask or suit or facade. They already know you. The There's good, the bad, no and the ugly. Call. There's almost yeah, no mating call. There's almost no mating call. You don't have to, like, ruffle the feathers or anything. Or pretend, like, that you are someone, you are else. someone else or something you're not, or, like, keep some right. aspect of your personality. Hidden. and hidden. yeah. And when you're talking about recovery, that's essential. That's essential. You've got to be. So, um, be man, I'm so happy for you. I feel like it comes out in just how you carry it, and it's beautiful. And that's why I asked you to talk. So I want to say I'm really grateful that you make the time and that your story really translates. I'm grateful for you having interest in it and wanting to, like you said, be a conduit because that's a very essential part of community. We're going to have to do a part two, where we talk a, a little bit about the side projects. We're up on 30 minutes, and I'm trying to do 30-minute segments. I love it. Um, but yeah, we'll have to do a part two. Yeah, I want to talk just at the end here a little bit about, you know, plug what you got coming up this summer. Turquoise stuff, the Super Jam stuff, what else? Right on. See me through uh, the end of the summer. All right, so uh, we're at High Sierra right now, and um, let's see. We do... Uh, Levitates, another big East Coast festival. Yep. and um, That's this weekend too, right? That's the, yeah, oh my God. Yeah. It's this weekend. Bang, bang. Uh, then we fly back out to Oregon. We have Oregon Country Fair, which I've oh heard, my goodness. heard the craziest things yeah. about. It's our first year. You're stoked. And they gave us like the crazy slot where 
they force everyone out unless they have this special bracelet. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. apparently it just goes bananas. It, yeah, after it's, it's absolute. Well, it's, it's prankster <laughs> tradition from like Ken Kesey. Yeah, and, the uh, original. Yeah, the original pranksters. Yeah. So, yeah, you're stoked. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to speak out of turn, but um, you're stoked. There's so, that. Um, doing Cobblestone Live Festival in Buffalo, which is a really great festival. And then every year, you know, I do my birthday show and, and raise some money for yeah. a cause. We this interviewed year. about yes. that before. This year I'm doing it in my hometown of Buffalo, New York. Nice. Which is really cool. Um, who are you bringing in for that? Freak Bass is nice. going to be playing bass with me. And, uh, and then it's going to be a mixture of Turquoise members, uh, Aqueous members, because Aqueous is also from, from Buffalo, and those right. are my boys. Yeah. And uh, and then some like Buffalo cats that that are that I want to represent. That's dope. You know, you know reach down. Yeah. You know, and be like, hey, I'm on. I'm gonna put you on. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's lovely. Because Buffalo has a lot to offer music-wise. There's a lot of really great players there, and you know, we want to continue the lineage from Al and Neil Evans to me to yeah, you know, to whoever that's else amazing. is next. You know, that is, that is a hell of a lineage. Too. Pretty dope. Those guys are, those are good dudes. And then we'll see you at Halloween. Halloween, dude. Yeah, that's that's. I'm so stoked. We'll put that, that on part two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But Halloween's huge, and and Red Rocks at the sort of the end of summer. Okay. We're playing with Green Sky Bluegrass since in September. Oh, how, that is a cool build. It's really cool, and the just the vibe between our two bands is really cool. There's a lot of mutual respect and admiration. I can see why. And I think that you know the angle that they take on what on on the music they're playing. Uh, lends itself to like we're gonna go and just rile the people up and then they're gonna come out and just kick the fucking doors out and, and, and burn it down and they have that kind of same attitude we do about playing a show you know I think they're, they're they they care about what they do a lot and they're badass at it agreed and it's just cool to put two things like that together that you know maybe don't match initially but if you come to that show, that's way that cooler than a couple carbon copy right? bands. Way you know? cooler. Right on. Well, yeah. you, you got a hell of a, a run. And a then you're doing any of the, you know, side project stuff like uh, uh, the, so, the OG uh, Dopapod thing. Yeah, OG Dopapod's happening at Brooklyn Comes Alive. Uh, I'm playing with the Steely Dan joint, uh, Joey Porter Steely oh, Dan thing at Brooklyn great. Comes Alive. Uh, I'm doing a run a week in August with um, Steve Swatkins from Alan yeah, Stone. Yeah, so Swati and the, the so the positive agenda Northeast edition, That's which is dope. me, Craig Broadhead from Turquoise, Bo Sasser from Kung Fu. And, uh, that's what I was referencing as that's we were what you were walking. seeing. Okay, yes. right on. Yeah, so that's that's the positive right agenda on. Northeast edition. That's it. That's like August 12th through the 18th, and we're hitting um, Rockwood Hall, uh, Music Hall in New York, and we're doing Nectars in Burlington, Home in Portland, uh, Art Street in Hartford, where all the good Northeast markets. So there's a lot of good stuff, and, and you know, all the homies are coming together and making music because that's the best. That's what brings us <laughs> that's together. That's what brings yeah. us together. It's a beautiful thing. I it's love Swatty, so I'm happy me to too, you guys man. are working together. That's my brother. So uh, yeah, let me let me say thanks for Thank uh, coming on the powwow, and I look forward to uh, the powwow. What's the best way for you, know, you touch some folks today? I have no doubt you're gonna. Reach into some folks' hearts, what you I said. So. so, what's the best way if somebody did want to holler at Mikey and say, "Hey, man," uh, Facebook, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm ever present on those, okay. and you know, I have Messenger, and so people can reach me directly. Right on. And I read everything. I don't have a manager. Sure. You know, big love, man. Love Thank you. Man. Thank you, man. That was great. <laughs>
Welcome back to the Upful Life with B. Getz. And that was an interview with Mikey Karuba, Turquoise. Um, now we're going to pick something up a little different. I'm going to try something that I've learned from any number of podcasts that I enjoy, and that is where you, you know, check in with a pal or somebody uh, that you have a certain level of dialogue and rapport and conversational prowess with, and uh, obviously it's got to be relevant, but I have a few relationships with folks that I would like to, you know, explore here on the podcast, and oftentimes through the years, uh, people have told both my friend J.A. and myself that they would pay to just be a fly on the wall to listen to our conversations, which is a funny thing to hear. But at the same time, I understand it because Jason is somebody that I've known since elementary school and went to many of my first concerts with him as a youth. And uh, he was somebody who had a job in the uh, concert industry in Philadelphia at a, a number of venues, including the TLA and the Electric Factory. And he facilitated my going to numerable shows, legendary shows through the years that I'm sure we'll explore stories in the rearview mirror of, of said evenings. And also somebody I've seen a huge slab of fish shows with. And uh, we've also seen just a ton of shows together in our adult life. He still lives in Philadelphia. Uh, I live out here in the Bay Area. And we're still in touch on a very regular basis. But all the topics du jour. So naturally, when I had a podcast in the, in the works, uh, we started to dream up uh, segments with him. Uh, he, he's more from the uh, Howard Stern show mold, if you will. So there likely will be a sort of element of that dynamic, if only the sort of retorts and humorous asides. But Jason is somebody who's not only been one of my best friends for my whole life and a loyal friend through thick and thin, but Jason is somebody whose knowledge and understanding of music and culture and history, his perspective, he's, he's a student equal to or superior than myself, and our conversations reflect that. So I'm going to give him a call, and we're just going to chat up some topics that come naturally to us uh, that are uh, pertinent and relevant today, and we'll see what kind of shape this sort of segment takes moving forward. All right, I'm going to figure out getting him on the horn, and we'll be back with J.A., J.A. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good, my friend. Going pretty good, man. Thanks for making some time. So, yeah, we're going live right now. All right. Um, well, first off, congratulations on starting the podcast. That's really awesome, man. Very happy for you. You always have a lot to say in the real world, social media. 
people always love it. Now they get to hear you talk about it. People are going to really love it. Watch out, Chris Jericho, new uh, champion of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you, man. You're a big part of me, you know, motivating to do this, and that's why I'm stoked that you're going to have a major role in it. And uh, I got to say, like, people have always said they like to listen in on us, or could they be a fly on the wall? To hear us talk. So now they're going to have the opportunity. Ah, I'm going to do this uh, often. Well, here. That's awesome. So, yeah, once upon a time, you know, I, I explained in your intro uh, that I played before I called you that, you know, our history goes back in a lot of directions and for a very long time. And, you know, uh, our relationship, you know, is from, you know, glam metal to pro wrestling to, you know, music of all kinds and our Philadelphia sports teams, et cetera. But uh, once upon a time when I was writing about fish uh, for Jam Base, I quoted you as a noted Delaware Valley fish historian. And, uh, Proud we, moment. <laughs> we agreed uh, that that would be a good spot to start. I mean, it's timely and relevant with the you know the summer tour being over. And Yeah, know. we're going to take a little look at the uh, 2008 fish summer tour. It was uh, it was an interesting one, as you know, you you can never predict whatever fish is going to do. That's the beauty of them, and the fans. You know, there was a couple uh, incidences along the way. Curveball never got uh, off the ground, but uh, you know, we'll talk about all that. Yeah, so man. The first night, yeah. The, so the tour kicks off uh, in Tahoe. Out here, yeah. California. I've never been to Tahoe. You've been to Tahoe a couple times. Not only did you go this time, but you've been there before, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I came out in 2011 uh, for t the first time they played Tahoe and then had been there one other time. But I was not present for the Tahoe Tweezer. But, I, you know, I happen to – you you haven't been out here to, since I've lived here, but uh, I'm, I live like an hour – or lived an hour and a half from Tahoe in Grass Valley for the past five years. So I went to Tahoe often, and it always uh, made me chuckle that – you know, fish would come play in basically a parking lot of a casino. Uh, that's what uh, Harvey's is. Harvey's is well, a casino, yeah. but they play in the parking lot. Well, when you're a casino, you can, you know, pay people a lot of money to come play your parking lot. If you look, they get Elton John, Fish. All the big names are coming to Harvey's parking lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a fun time, um, no doubt. Uh the shows, you know, we're good. I didn't walk out of any shows disappointed, either of the Tahoe shows or any of the shows I saw this summer. But you it also was – I did see the Rocket Man. That's the first time I went out there. They did uh, 50 Ways the night before at the Hollywood Bowl and then uh, did the Rocket Man first time debut in Tahoe. So, yeah, that's a tr definitely a treasured memory from 2011. 2018, it's hard to really say uh, if there was, like, treasured memories. I want, you know, you always have your thumb on the pulse of the fish nation, which is why we were always in touch uh, talking about the fish. What was the general consensus in, uh, among the, you know, the fan community in terms of not just Tahoe, but the Cali portion of the tour, the West Coast? You know? Well, it was the beginning of the tour. You know, fish is starting to just get the engines going. Um I think it it kicked off pretty good, and it just can, it gets better as it progresses, you know. Yeah, I mean, I didn't make it up to the gorge this year, um, but that's uh, sort of because universally to Tahoe to the gorge for three nights at the gorge. Right, and people yeah. were raving about the the yeah. gorge shows, um, you know, for for the first ever three night run there. I mean, they've been visiting the gorge for many years. I first went in '03, but uh, 
Yeah. And then they did so grand for two nights, where that would normally be three nights, right? Yeah, correct, correct. So, so I got to, like, to it. I hit those shows, which were uh, the, the Bill Graham shows. I thought, now here we go, fish is on fire, and you're getting some awesome bust outs. First night, you get the McGrupp. Uh, anytime you get a coil encore, you know it was a great show. So you were at that show. What'd you think? Yeah. Um, well, it's funny. I just blurted out coil to uh, my girlfriend Alicia shortly before the piano started. That was a I haven't been going to shows enough lately to be able to be tuned into what I feel is coming or having, you know, studied set list enough to know, or like, we're doing one of these. It's just a random kind of coil, boom, they played coil. It was beautiful, of course. Um, I liked Bill Graham as well. I mean, I, for the listening audience out there, you know, J.A. here has kind of kept the pedal to the metal with the fish thing throughout the time, if anything, like gradually getting more and more into the fandom. And while I've kind of you know, taking a further step back through the years, but I've never really given it up, which is why we have these conversations. So I'm less critical now. I guess I'm more of a critical guy because I'm like, eh, a lot of the time, but I don't walk out of the shows ever saying like, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Um, I just don't really walk out of holding my heart in my hands anymore either. And I imagine that probably would have happened many times had I been lucky to go to the Baker's Dozen. And I think that that's unfair basically that, you know, the band, especially with summer tours, everything's going to be held up to the summer of 17. And uh, that's a that's a huge, you know, shadow to get out from under. And at least yeah. in my, my four shows this summer, uh, the, the four Cali shows that I saw, NorCal, um, you know, they were they were average to above average great fish shows, just what you come to expect from the band. Uh, I guess they played like, you know, one good show, one not so good show down in SoCal where Granite. Uh, reported back they wasn't stoked on the one night and the other night sounded pretty the uh, cool. LA Forum shows yeah the Forum okay yeah the LA Forum now that's that's I really wanted to go this year also Granite lives there another one of our friends Jesse lives there and so and says it's the best uh, sonic venue indoor venue exactly. in the U S exactly and actually it's uh, kind of wild Ozzy Osbourne is in a uh, crazy lawsuit right now he wants to play there. And he's being forced to play the Staples Center. Yeah, if you ever listen to that uh, Promoter 101 podcast. Oh, of course. Love that. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting because you never really hear, like, they they use this um, term, you know, they want to get the best experience possible for the concert goer, right? And that's what Sharon's case is. She wants the fans to go see Ozzy at the L.A. Forum. She thinks that's the best experience, back to what you said about the uh, – down that's what's so history yeah so they're yeah so since he wanted to play the o2 arena in london ag forcing him to play the staples center in la i have no idea how that's gonna play out or what have you but yeah these shows were good shows i thought yeah um moving forward just so we don't get down too many well, rabbit I mean, holes we can't get too past it there was the uh there was a it was like uh, Julius C- a Susie Timbers Soul Shakedown one night. I mean, um, they're always going to just pull out some dope songs. I mean, and then do- in Los Angeles during uh, Fuego, they teased the Kink Celluloid Heroes. I mean, you know, there was there's, it's not a show to sneeze at. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Okay. Austin, Texas. 
Alfreda. Yeah, so let's get to Alfreda for a sec because I feel like the the sort of uh, flagship three night runs on each side of the country really like couldn't be more diametrically opposed geographically than all the way out in Bumblefuck, Washington for the Gorge, and then in you know hot Atlanta region for Alpharetta. The new uh, home of the fish in the South, Alfreda. Yeah. Well, I've been to the Alpharetta venue a few times, including the legendary Fourth of July Rage Against the Machine one which was incredible. And I love Alfred. It's small. It's built for a live music experience. And I feel like, like you said, Fish and the community has definitely, like, taken a foothold there. Um, so they came out the gates with a 10-ton hammer on that Friday night. Now, bear in mind, I'm streaming. You know, I, I pretend that I don't give a shit, but, like, I literally listened to or watched nearly this entire tour. And uh, the the Friday night Alpharetta show is probably one that is worth going back to. And well, and the Sunday night too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just starting with Friday. I mean Friday, but go ahead, please. Uh, well, the Sunday night show. I mean, I, I'm, that was the one where they do uh, you sexy thing in and out of all the songs, right? Yeah. Starting like mid first set. Yeah. I mean that's cool, and I like when they do that. And you know they, I guess they did some other trickery of that nature later in the tour in Merryweather. Um, but that honestly, like that's cool and all, thinking on the fly and stuff, but. And I had this conversation with Granite shortly after those shows. I really prefer just like a, a deep dive, a deep psychedelic dive, uh, playing songs or playing type two jams. Um, this sort of like weaving in and out of portions of songs and this or that. It's cool. I'm not knocking it. It's just not my preferred like quirkiness of fish. I, I would pref- I, I much prefer the you know the deep psychedelic type two jams that tend to take a place in the early portion of the second wow. set. As Mick Foley would say, it's a real easy, cheap pop, and the crowd loves it. So I think <laughs> that's why I brought you on. From the uh, from the band and the crowd, it works uh, uh, probably eleven out of ten times when they do it. And, no and I think you're actually saying uh, you're, when you were talking earlier. I think you're referring to the Walnut Creek show. That's now now been uh, nicknamed the Jim Lope show, where they oh, do right. the runaway jam, antelope. Runaway Jim Antelope, and then they I guess they sing the lyrics of one over the other, etc. Yeah, that you're right. Set. I was mistaken. Yeah, and then while we're on Walnut Creek, the second set of that, I mean, that might be the set of the tour. The Meat Stick, Drowned, and I See You, Thread, shout out to the Thread, uh, the Jim Antelope, Jim Antelope, Maki Supo, YM, Encore, Dana Life. So, yeah, I, I watched that live. We had a good... Uh, we had like one of those live show threads going on with uh, our buddy Chris Gelbuta, and I honestly didn't love that show, even with all the trickery. It felt, you know, it was like the Philly Philly of Phil oh. shows, you know, which is great. I love Philly Philly, obviously, but it's like that's our thing, you know. That's gimmick infringement in your world. Anyway, moving on. What were some of the shows you saw up in the Northeast? And then, and then I saw the next four shows, which would be the two Camden shows and then the two Maryland shows, the Merryweather Post Pavilion shows, which is like maybe the great, it's like incredible to go from such a whatever venue in Camden to New Jersey to such an amazing venue in Maryland. Well, when you say amazing, like uh, I understand that there were some pretty, pretty big improvements they made structurally. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even from before, the building's just a great building. Uh, for, I guess, the last five years, Fish has played 
the Man Music Center in in uh, Philly, and then they just went back to Camden, New Jersey. The Man Music Center and Merriweather are the same thing. It's these beautiful old school wooden sheds. Uh, Every seat inside is a perfect seat. They sound great. It looks great. You know, it should have stayed there. Yeah, I mean, shit, I saw my second and third shows in summer of 95. Uh, I saw my first Man. ever fish show at the Man in 95. Yeah, June 25 or 26. Uh, I think I went second night. Right on. So what did you have to say the about Camden the return to Camden? Really the Camden shows were really good. Um, you know, you felt that uh, Camden... Uh, vibe when you're out in the parking lot you know there's a, there's a little height of danger even and i said to our good friend joe d before we walked into the show crowd control opener crowd control opener <laughs> of course well you know yeah. camden's been the site of some absolute heaters and uh absolutely the night before coventry obviously and then i think of the, the, the yeah the oh nine sand which is kind of like solidified sand is my favorite song the michael jackson birthday tribute yeah lots of good stuff at camden so so you rage camden you get down to merriweather what were your thoughts on the shows and merriweather as a whole merriweather was awesome merriweather was great um i love going to merriweather there's great food down there our friend michael thomas is an amazing host it's just a great time um the shows were awesome the well, I guess it was the second night where they do the uh, llama opener, Big Black Furry, Meat, Alaska, Tweezer, and then from Tweezer on, the show's on. Tweezer, Gin, Curtains, Chalk Dust to end the first set. I mean, can't really ask for much more than that. True that. And then second set, bang, Tweezer again, No Man's Land, Twist, Caspian, Piper, Number Line, 2001, Hood. And then the three-song encore, or two and a half, you know, heavy things, bug, tweet prize. Yeah, it's a solid. That, you know, ends the tour. You know, it's a great way to end the first part of the tour, so to speak. Fantastic. And then, and then comes the, you know, the ultimate deuce. So. Yeah. So a week later, they're supposed to play their festival. And this is national news. Now we're kind of like, if, if our listeners have like persevered through the fish uh, rabbit holes. This is actually, this was something that was in, like, Time Magazine and CNN. It was a major snafu. Now, from what I remember, you told me you were not one of the unlucky ones that actually made it to site and set up and everything. So how did you get the news, and where were you in your travels? Well, I was uh, on my way up to New York City. I was going to meet a friend of ours and go from there up to the venue. But when I got to Trenton and I was going to switch trains, my phone started going nuts. I started, I looked at Twitter and saw the official announcement, and I was like, because you never know with these guys, but the <laughs> name of the festival is Curveball, you know. Um, uh, there's obviously, they've had things in the past where uh, they didn't want to sell more tickets, but then the show was sold out. Who knew what was happening? And then after, like, you know, 15 minutes sitting there, I kind of realized, yeah, this is, uh concert is not happening. Um, it was, you know, it was it's a shame. It's just, you know, one of those, like, freak of nature things. Well, yeah, I mean, it's obviously a shame. And, I mean, my initial reaction was, like, they were unprepared or underprepared, just from the outside looking in. And then uh, you come to know that that wasn't the case, and it was, you know, the water had gotten contaminated because of the weeks and weeks of rain and that, you know, a boil advisory had been issued for the region. And 
you know, it wasn't like they were just putting this sort of stuff out to cover a fish's ass. I mean, this is a legitimate quasi-emergency, if you will, and uh, the collateral damage was the festival that happened to be there that weekend had to be canceled. But in the yeah. in the fish world, it was like um, an atomic bomb. And just seeing the, me- the melts online and the, just the way people were reacting, the sort of sense of entitlement that I noticed about people just really – you know, I understood their heartbreak, and I'm not belittling that by any means. And I know it costs a lot of money and take time off of work and away from your families, and I don't want to give that short shrift. But I did see a lot of, like, woe is me, this is absolutely devastating shit. And I'm sure it sucked, but, I mean, we don't need to go down, you know, a political or sociocultural rabbit hole to say that there's plenty of worse shit right in front of us in every direction. And that while they yeah, there's over a dozen counties, you know, uh, surrounding there that also had the advisory. Just it just is what it is. It's a shame it happened. Uh, the whole tour, not the whole tour, but there was lots of stops from the tour that um, had problems from the beginning. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I wanted to yeah. circle back to that, sure. But um, I, I've just uh, wrapping up on the Coventry thing. There is a Fordian slip on the curveball thing. Um, you know, all, all the big art that was built over the course of a couple months and all the infrastructure and everybody that was there, you know, unfortunately that the people the, the people that are working there building all the uh, right. tents for people to stay in. They, they get sure. the RVs up. There's so much. For yeah. Pollock's mural. I mean, there's a million things. I'm just saying, do you feel like months fish? Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like fish org did enough to sort of like, uh, even though it wasn't their fault, like in essence, the mea culpa would say the, free streams or merch that they released or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it was a canceled event. What are they, they can't, I mean, I don't think anyone, you know, you get, you deserve your money back. And, you know, they, they shoot you a free stream. That's it. You know, like they, they totally handled it the way you're supposed to handle it. I don't And I don't, it's weird because like any other fan base or like festival probably doesn't have these deep of discussions about this, but all they're going to do is the same thing too. Like, you know, any like if god forbid this happens to a bonnaroo or a lost land festival i mean all they can do is refund you i mean you know maybe send you maybe give you an hbo to go hat or something i don't know but what people will say well that's why we are fish fans and not going to enter festival here because fish cares about their fans and i didn't think that they didn't care about their fans i thought it was a shitty thing that happened and like they had to react accordingly um, yeah. Speaking of, you know, acting accordingly, and you mentioned, like, what else are they going to do, um, I want to revisit what you referenced in the early part of the tour, which was the situation in Tahoe relative to the garbage and the nitrous oxide and, uh, and the press release that the band did, which was kind of out of character for them. And then, uh, obviously... Well, the, uh, I guess the local authorities went to social media first. Okay, tell me more about that because I'm not familiar with how that played out. But I, I, I'm either am I. I, I. I was just like I, I, I. From what I remember was the local authorities were uh, took pictures of uh, some of the garbage and balloons left behind, and like you know, just kind of asked everyone to throw their stuff away. Okay, and then uh, the fish org reiterated that. I guess so. You would you, you had something on that? I don't remember. I read something that was official. I don't want to. I don't want to be mistaken. I don't have my computer open. But yeah. anyway, they, it was addressed. I, I'm certain, like directly from Fish publicly. Um, but what wasn't 
um, it was what happened in the gorge. And obviously, like, it's a simple picking up your trash and, like, not being an idiot sucking. If you insist on buying and sucking gas, which I don't encourage, yeah, don't, um, buy don't throw your fucking balloons the on the ground. And and then, you know, the, it's hard to really uh, differentiate between what is fact and what isn't. So we'll stick with what's fact. At the gorge, there were two separate violent incidents where, um, at the same time, at the same time, uh, male people uh, of color, apart or something. right? So they were male males, people of color that were struck in sort of an ambush attack by people that were described of as like white supremacists or had tattoos bearing swastikas or SS bolts and. Well, there was I, no. There was uh, people in the parking lot that had those tattoos, and uh, but not they, you can't necessarily say that those were the guys that hit them, but yes, there were guys on campus, so to speak, roaming around like that. So this is a three-day event with camping, and it's a festival kind of atmosphere, so it's not like the same level of policing that you would have for like a standalone show in, you know, whatever city arena. Um, therefore, there's a certain sense of lawlessness, which we have to acknowledge as part of the fun, but not the violence. Um, and of course not. Fish yeah. is, uh, uh, the fish community, I mean, but, you know, people like to say, oh, it's a hippie community, this and that. Like, back in the 90s when I used to tour really hard and, and, you, and you were right there with me, I mean, we saw some ugliness, whether it was the drugs or some of the violent shit that popped off in the parking lot. It happened at the end uh, of – a couple fights at the end of the 90s, and I have not seen anything like that since. Right. And then all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, in this, you know, sociocultural climate, these attacks happen at the gorge and – uh, do you feel like Fish had a responsibility to address those publicly? Because they didn't. Um, no, I mean, once again, that's a you know a thin line because like there's there's fights at concerts, you know, I'm sure every night, you know, whether it be club level or hockey arena level, and you know they're not going to address it. There's fights in the crowd. You can go on uh, YouTube and watch a fight at every NFL game. You know, violent fights. You know, especially the ones out west and. You know, does the team have to address every time, you know, uh, one of their drunken fans? Obviously, this was a Wait different a I'm going to interrupt Obviously. you against yeah. against normal podcast procedure for just the purpose that you know when there was that beating outside of the Giant, the San Francisco Giants-Dodgers game. Those teams address that. Those teams address that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, I mean, but you know that there's also a fight, you know, in uh, LA. This wasn't like a fight. This wasn't like team uh, fans uh, cheering against each other, coming to blows. I mean, we love that up in the 700, yeah. 600 level at the vet. That was better than the game all the time. <laughs> right. But but this was a premeditated attack that may most likely have been a hate crime. And I just felt like I wouldn't say it was swept under the rug. It just wasn't addressed. And that I think enabled like to address it. It's the local authorities who kind of gave you the one press release, and have you haven't heard a thing since? True. You know, you got to think that there, there's maybe some legal things afoot in terms of lawsuits. I don't know that to be the case. I'd hope there would be if it wasn't addressed, because you, nobody should feel like they're going to go to a show and get hit in the head with a blunt object and lose teeth, um, especially especially if it's racially motivated and honestly that really put a sour taste in my mouth uh i'm not blaming the fish community it's happening in every community some far worse than that yeah but well, it just sucked and it was like really hard to uh rectify internally for me it just 
really sat with it for a long time. Yeah, there was a um, a very big Reddit thread about the whole incident, and I, it was, you know, to hear the local people's point of view. Like you said, um, the... Um, there's even even just a standalone concert the gorge has its own vibe because it's kind of out in the woods and there's like camping in general if you want just like for one night so there's like the guys were saying that there is a nazi vibe up there there's some towns neighboring towns where some of these guys do work security do sell t-shirts there that have some of these uh tattoos or belong to some of these groups now, this is coming from guys on Reddit. So, apparently, like, the gorge and that area knows what they were dealing with. I, I, who knows if there's uh, an incident when other artists play there, you know? I'm sure, right. Well, yeah, I mean, all valid points, and that's just why I wanted to bring it up. And um, I just, you know, wish for the two men who were harmed nothing but a you know, yeah, peace and love, positive peace and re- recovery, and History absolutely came together big for them. I saw a lot of great GoFundMe pages. Yeah, uh, likewise, a lot of gifts and stuff. You know, were sent to them. Obviously, nothing will ever be able to take back those nights and what. However, they have to now react when they're going to concerts or what have you. But uh, yeah, the community did show up big as usual. Indeed, man. So let's just look forward for a sec. We're at 25 minutes, man, and I, I wanted to get to other topics with you, but we're just going to have to wait till the next Yeah, we're going to do a lock-in next time. We are going to do a little lock-in, look-back, and, uh, you know, a few other things off that tree, if you will. But uh, just moving forward, obviously, you know, Dick's happened. It was Dick's, which is to say it was great and it was what it is, but nothing out of the ordinary in yeah, light of what I happened. I feel like, yeah, I agree with you the way you kind of said that uh Dix has become like a standalone thing that, you know, they do every year. Whereas, like, I really do think the end of the tour would have been Curveball or Merriweather was like the end of the regular part of the tour and then kind of Curveball ends it. And then Dix is like this event that they do every year. Right. So, so they didn't do anything crazy out of the ordinary, but it was, you know, like I like to say, above average, great fish. And then they've got the fall coming up, which... You know, last year they didn't do the fall. They just went straight from the Baker's Dozen to the New Year's around in the same room. What do you Halloween. think? What do you, yeah, Halloween. Halloween what do you got? Vegas. Are you going? Of course. You can't miss a Las Vegas Halloween show. I mean, I missed the most recent one, and I'll probably miss another. I don't think You'll I'll get, be. You know, I think we might find a way to see you there. <laughs> right on. What are, you, what are you hoping or calling? Do you think it's going to be oh, a musical costume, or do you think they're going to do something uh, strange again? It's probably going to be Black Sabbath. You could lock it up. Okay, you heard it first, man. And gambling's legal in lots of places now. So yeah, Black Sabbath, Halloween. Grab your weed. Well, I'm getting a. I'm getting the worst possible thing is another call coming in, which I'm not going to answer. But I hope you can't hear the beep on our pod. I can't hear anything. All I hear is uh, positive vibes. Positive vibes. Peace and love. We'll wrap this up. Yeah, man. Uh, Thank you. Obviously. pleasure i look forward to listening to the rest of your podcast and uh chiming in on some of them yeah well we're gonna do some tandem interviews when the you know universe allows it however we can and you're coming in on a episode the inaugural episode with the drummer of turquoise mikey caruba who gives a very heartfelt deep interview and uh yeah we're gonna check in with you soon
I'm going to call you in the next couple of days, and we're going to do the next uh, segment. All right, man. Talk All to right. you soon. Thank yeah, you. Love you, bro. Peace. And there you have it. Episode one of The Upful Life, in the books. I'd like to say big thanks to Mikey Karuba and large up to my man's J.A. We'll be back next time with Chris Perella, Philadelphia music Svengali from the Ardmore Music Hall. Thanks, everyone, for checking in. This is B. Getz signing off for The Upful Life. I, I said unabashedly that, you know, I owe a lot of the good ideas I've ever had in my life to pot. I mean, uh, I'm sure that, you know, and I mean, not to, you know, get the hippies too excited.